0: It's almost the end of August, and this is In Goal Radio, the podcast, working our way through the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutcherson, and gentlemen, as we work our way through the final eight in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the uh, second round of the postseason, we are adding up uh, to our number of teams that have played multiple goaltenders. I know this was a topic of conversation going into the playoffs and the round robin, and it has it has grown. The Boston Bruins, can we all say, welcome to the club. Uh, thanks for being the first through the door to play three different goaltenders. Hutch, this is some place that I didn't expect us to go, but it's become a reality. At the start, when everybody's putting their rosters together, unlimited goaltenders, and you're wondering, will that happen? Like Some teams took four goaltenders. Boston's
1: played three. You're just doing it to rub it in with me, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, because I didn't think as many. You said, was it 10 teams would use two guys? Yes, I, I called yeah, double that, digits. That was the over-under, and I I took the under, and I've been shamed again. Once again, don't look to me for any goaltending predictions. Uh, great to see all these guys getting in, and, and we've got uh, Colorado's had to reach outside the bubble now to bring Hunter Miska in to the fold as well, now that uh, they've gone with a, a second goaltender, and we saw a couple more teams add them this week as well. So what, what's the number at, Woody? Uh, I'm not good at
2: math, but it's higher than what you. Oh, predicted. I thought you were
1: keeping track because you wanted to rub it yeah, in. Yeah, No,
2: no, I just need to. know I mean, it's frankly, I stopped keeping track after we passed year over under a while ago. So, you know, I, yeah, I we got to the there. point
1: of now. How many teams haven't used to get Yeah, well, I thought I You're- thought we
2: were going to see three from Colorado the other night. The way things were going for Pavel though. that way he might see Michael Hutchison and the, the all full right tandem there. It's uh, Yeah, it's been it's been amazing to watch not just the number of goalies, but the ebbs and flows from tight defensive series to absolutely fire wagon
0: hockey in some of them and and the
2: goaltenders at times
0: suffering as a result. Do you think there's some uh, attrition now? We've reached the stage three rounds into this thing uh, where goaltenders are starting to wear down uh, without that base of, of the regular season.
1: I think guys are wearing down, but I think we also have to remember that the teams are wearing down. I mean, we've always talked about the playoffs being a war of attrition, about those bumps and bruises adding up, and now we're seeing back-to-backs, and now we're seeing guys living in a bubble, and I think I think there's a combination of effects going on. For sure, we're seeing some some struggles in the net, but, but we're seeing some significant struggles around them as well, and we have to see it, I believe, we have to see this as a combined result.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point to to remember that even as, because I do think we're seeing some fatigue in some guys in some of these back-to-backs, and I don't think it's going to get, it's not going to get better as we move forward, because they've said there's going to be back-to-backs throughout, maybe the cup final won't have it, but the plan is to have them in the conference finals, at least the last time I checked, to still possibly have back-to-back games, still maintain this compressed schedule. There's not going to be any gaps. We saw it with the Canucks. They went straight from the first round or the the play-in or the first... Yeah, that series
0: was moved up. Yeah,
2: they and so they want to get this done, right? And, and so that series went from finishing the first round to starting the second round in two days. Uh, both of them had back-to-backs built in. I'm not saying like, Jacob Markstrom's going to be fatiguing, but eventually this starts to add up. There isn't the recovery time of, hey, finish the series in five games and get three, three days off or four days off. There's, there's not a lot of recovery time built in. And yes, they're not traveling and that matters. Um, but man, there's nothing like the intensity of playoff hockey. And so to go through it, especially for teams that aren't using tandems, that don't have a second guy they're willing to start in those back-to-backs, I can't help but think there's going to be a cumulative effect. And Hutch is right to point out that, you know, that includes the team too. And, you know, poor team performance obviously puts more weight on the goaltender.
0: I'll put it another way. Uh, Of the eight teams left in the Stanley Cup playoffs, as we speak and record this episode, four of them are either going with the goaltender that didn't start the postseason Or their situation is fluid in that people are asking who's going to start that night. So it's we are in a different uh, realm right now.
2: And some of them are injury related too, right? Like obviously, Grubauer goes down to Colorado, Boston, Boston, Tuca leaves um, to, to tend to some family emergencies. Dallas, like Ben Bishop just never hasn't been healthy throughout this whole thing, right? And we called that too. Like you can't look at that and say, "Well, well you got it. it's injuries; it doesn't matter." No, the injuries are in some cases directly because you jumped into a season after four months off. Like this was predictable. So, um, yeah, it's I mean, it's fascinating to watch unique circumstances, and still a couple of teams riding a workhorse, right? Like like Carter Hart's the guy in Philly, and I don't think they're going to change that anytime soon. Jacob Markstrom, we talked about in Vancouver, Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky, Carey Price, and. You know, before Montreal was eliminated with Price, uh, like, you know, Vass is, what, 25, 26, still pretty young. Jacob's 30. Mm -hmm. Um, Jarl Halak, I thought at the age of 35, we saw some fatigue. And and Hutch, again, got no help in front of him last night. Uh, None. But... You know, I thought there were also signs of fatigue in his game at the age of 35 playing back to back. So you ended up seeing Dan Vladar anyways in his NHL debut debut, and what a tough spot to come in. But a lot of people completely dismissed and poo-pooed the concept of starting Vladar, and and now you've got Halak having to play four and six the next time.
0: I don't know what uh was said, what was uh what was happening during that conversation when uh when Yaroslav Halak, between the second and the third period, uh, had a conversation with Dan outside the uh, the locker room and looked, just looked like the older guy, taking the uh, the younger guy, who just made his NHL debut under his wing a little bit.
2: Yeah, maybe some of that, but also probably, like, knowing knowing Yarrow a little bit, I bet you there's a little bit of, uh, like, helping the kid, but also probably feeling a little bit bad about it, like about having put him in that spot for his NHL debut, like, hey, this is because I couldn't perform, and again, no help in front of him, but... You know, I put you in this spot of having to come in here and, and listen, don't worry about it. Um, the other other unique one beyond just goaltending performance, we've talked about unique aspects of this bubble to, to go back to Halak. Uh, we had it on the on our Instagram page after I, I noticed it on the CBC broadcast. The guys did a great job of, of picking it up. Yarrow had gone to the bench midway through the period for some skate work, but he also changed his gloves. And they said on the broadcast that this is a regular thing for him. He changes the set of gloves he's wearing halfway through every period, which raised my eyebrows because I know it's not a regular thing for him. Maybe it has been in the bubble, but I've watched Yarrow enough to know I've never seen that because I would have noticed it. Well, it turns out reached out to Chris Joswiak from Brian's and absolutely it is now a regular thing in the bubble because it's so much hotter there. And so he feels like he's sweating more. And so instead of swapping between periods, he's there, there being the extra sets going on the drying rack And he's actually swapping during the TV timeout midway through every period just to get a fresh tacky set of gloves on his hands. So, you know, again, you know, this bubble has been really unique and goaltenders have reacted differently. And I think we need to take that into consideration. Even the no fans thing, there are some guys who just get up and get amped based on crowd. Like that's part of their mechanism and they don't have that. Uh, Here's an example where, you know, right down to equipment needing to be changed because of because of the heat, because of the ice conditions. I'm wondering if sharpenings are different. There's, It's just such a weird situation.
0: We also have uh, a bit of a development on the goaltending uh, carousel that uh, we expect after the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs and we'll get into free agency with all the UFAs and the RFAs. But Jimmy Rutherford Hutch uh, has gone public saying he's, he's waiting to... Uh, Get offers on a goaltender and Tristan Jari and Matt Murray uh, will not be the tandem for next year. So we we get a bit of a a heads up on don't know where one of them will go and who's going to stay. But uh, but looks like that will be one of the first uh, things to drop on this uh, wild 2020.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that one of those guys has to go because we have the expansion draft looming and they're both uh, solid young goaltenders uh one or two time Stanley Cup champ and another that's sort of supplanted him in the crease to an extent this year with the exception of of those playoff starts. Um so I don't think it's any surprise at all but it's uh fun to hear that that you know they're already looking at this and we know that the teams who are out of the playoff can can actually make transactions now so it is exciting to see the carousel going. Um and it's it's probably going to have to move really fast when it happens cuz we're looking at one of the the biggest seasons of moves, both in terms of the number of guys who are available now, the number of teams that are looking for support, and then obviously the, the impact of the expansion draft because they're not the only team uh, that's going to be looking to, to move some goaltenders because there's a lot of talent on teams. Eh? would. Yeah,
2: and uh, I mean, you know, a little bit of insight on the Pittsburgh situation. I don't think anybody's surprised. Jim Rutherford has been open about this coming and, and they have Casey DeSmith they're in a number three role, proven that he can play in the NHL already. Already had a full season. My information is that it's Matt Murray is the one they're trying to move, and that's, that's who teams are, are being asked about and you know looking into uh, out of those two. And it, they're not going to be the only ones. Like This is the thing. You, you touched on unrestricted free agency, and it's always a game of musical chairs from the goaltending community. This one will be like no other. Like, we could have Yarrow Halak or Anton. Well, Halak signed a discount deal during the the pause to stay in Boston. Anton Hudobin could go from 1B to Stanley Cup winner to free agency in a matter of days. Robin Lehner. Jacob Markstrom. And
1: And the flat cap impact, too. Don't forget that as well. All
2: potential unrestricted free agents. Not just the flat cap, but no more courting period, at least publicly. You're not allowed to sort of, it's going yeah, it's to done, actually right? be a bidding war. Yeah. The, the courting period is gone. And expansion draft, there are other teams that are going to move goaltenders. I mean, Darren, we've heard it in Vegas with everything that happened in the tweet. And we don't have to get into it, but is it possible that Laner gets a contract and yep. Marc-Andre Fleury's on the market? Henrik Lundqvist is on the market potentially. If not, Alexander Georgiev is out of New York, another good goaltender. Um, all the list on unrestricted free agency. There was a report the other day that the Oilers had been talking to Columbus and some buzz there that, you know, again, nobody has a deeper talent pool in gold than Columbus. They're not going to be able to keep Corpusalo and Merzlikens through the expansion draft. Could we see a trade there? You'd be selling at Corpusalo at an absolute high. And this is a franchise Markstrom
1: Markstrom resigns in Vancouver and you've got Demko
2: sitting there too yeah exactly and you've got you've got uh in in the Corpus Allo case a franchise in Columbus that gave away William Carlson who has turned out just fine thank you very much for the Vegas Golden Knights they gave him away in order to protect Jonas Corpus Allo. so it's right. you know like like it's, it was already shaping up to be the most dynamic game of musical chairs we'd ever seen for goaltenders. And it's just, you add the expansion draft, you add the shortened window um, coming out of it. And you add some teams that are frankly probably going to overreact to performance in the playoff bubble rather than just saying, right. this is a unique well, you just
0: mentioned, Yep. And this that, it's going to be amazing to watch. I hadn't thought of it in in those terms, but right now you have three of the final eight goaltenders are unrestricted. So there's, there's almost a 50-50 chance if you just goes on those odds. That's, that's amazing that, that the goaltender winning the Stanley Cup would be unrestricted. It's, it's, that's crazy. It's all,
2: could, we could very much have like, it'd be like the Barry Trot situation in goal. You know what I mean? Where, where you can yep. win a Stanley yep. Cup and, and just go right to market right away. And, I, you know, I top of my head, I can't remember seeing that. Um, maybe we have, maybe we haven't, but I certainly you don't know, remember. The
0: last one I remember was, was and it, he wasn't a starter, but when Dallas won, uh, and this is how long ago it goes, uh, Roman Turek was traded before he was the backup. He was traded before the parade during, during that one. So, but that, oh. that goes back uh, just a little bit.
1: To, uh, to the previous millennium. So. And we talk about, and we talk about uh, you know, goalies being left behind when the music stops and there's only so many chairs, but I think some teams will be left behind in terms of moving their number two guy to avoid the expansion draft. There are going to be some chairs that will already be filled and somebody will be left with two goaltenders and, and having to do something extra to protect well, them. And,
2: and the other part here is I've said for a while now that this was always going to be a buyer's market for goaltending in the summer. And that if you're smart, you're not going to have to overspend here. You're going to get a deal. Um, I would consider it the same with trades. Like, that's probably why a Jim Rutherford is getting out ahead of this. Probably why that, you know, the report out of Edmonton about Columbus didn't shock me. Because your alternative is to wait, and all you do is depreciate the asset. Because I don't care how good the guy is. And in Columbus's case, like, I mean... I think Elvis and Corpy are still one, two in save percentage in the playoffs on the list, right? Like look as much as they didn't get very far. It looks pretty good. Sitting on uh, a top that, that list, um, like selling high versus waiting and being like, like you can't trade a goaltender to a team that already has a goaltender. Cause then they got two and then they got to make an expansion decision. Like at the end of the day, There's a lot of tough decisions. A lot of teams are going to be in a really good spot if they make the right one. And you're right, Hutch. You could see some either with a depreciated asset or worst of all, imagine being a team that makes the wrong call and ends up with the wrong guy coming out of all of this with so many options.
1: And don't just think, I mean, that depreciation is going to happen overnight. You hear the word depreciation, you think, well, if I wait too long, eventually I won't get my price, but that market's going to crash in an instant.
2: Yeah, and and it's already deflated. Like, goaltending, like, this is the reason that, frankly, some teams, you know, we see some teams, they invest in it, they turn out guys, they already have, like, look at the Kings with Jonathan Quick and all the guys they've turned out behind them and then turn them into other things through trades. But for the most part, the market on goaltending has been so depreciated that there isn't, teams don't actually see a ton of value in that. Because, yeah, hey, we can turn out a great 1B, can't keep him because we need to move him because he needs to play, and we got a guy... But what are we really getting for them? Like the mar- the return hasn't always been great in those situations.
1: And even if you do believe in it, who's actually got the money to spend this summer?
0: Yeah, you have to find the money sometimes.
1: Well, and this year, worse than any other, really. Right.
0: Uh, the uh, the extensive, incredible list of goaltenders that require new contracts after this playoffs is unprecedented. And adding to that urgency is the expansion draft and the arrival of the Seattle Kraken and that is uh, where we go to for our feature interview this week Woody
2: Yeah Andrew Allen actually it's funny we were talking about this I never I never thought it's a perfect segue to Andrew who yeah. has to sort through all this or along with the management staff Ron Francis and and uh and all the team he's assembled and by all accounts a great team already with the Seattle Kraken they're the ones that have to figure this all out and and maximize the value um, listen, Andrew's a guy, this is going to come through in the interview, so I don't want to spoil it. Every time Buffalo came through town, I'd heard about him uh, and heard a lot of good things from the goalies coming through the Chicago system when he was with Rockford. Um, this is just how it is. You talk to goalies about who they've worked with. And every time Andrew's name came up, it was in glowing terms. And then when he started to come through town with the Sabres, I introduced myself and we just started to have conversations. In the locker room, it's funny because no joke, it would be like, and, and pretty good group of guys. Lena Selmark is, as you heard last week, real. He loves his gear and he'll sit and talk gear. And Carter Hutton's a guy that, you know, long conversations with Hutton. It would end up being the four of us just sitting in a corner of the room in Vancouver and just sort of talking goaltending for a while. His passion comes through. Uh, as you'll hear, he, he probably doesn't continue down the path with this career if not for that passion. Um, I always love talking goaltending with Andrew and uh, this interview is no exception so I know uh, our audience will enjoy it as well
0: I was excited to meet Andrew Allen through this interview in listening to your conversation and for those uh, subscribing to In Goal Radio the podcast who don't know him this is uh, going to be a fun journey to watch as uh, he joins the Seattle Kraken here is Andrew Allen the feature interview on In Goal Radio the podcast with Kevin Woodley
2: Andrew, first off, we got to ask you, obviously, about the the latest announcement. Um, i had heard that you had been doing some work sort of independently with them a little bit, but official now Pro Scout for the Seattle Kraken, by the way, the best name in pro sports right now. How excited are you? And I know you probably can't give away too much, but, you know, what's the job? What's the role right now for you? As you prepare for that first expansion draft, still a ways down the road.
3: Well, yeah. Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on, and real excited to, to be here. And uh, I, I agree, this the Seattle Kraken, I'm repping it here. I got the hat on. Um, uh, great logo, great. I love how they even announced everything. It was just, it was really well done. It's a, they're a first class organization, and uh, it's fun to be a part of them. Man. And I'm tasked with, uh, basically building, uh, a goalie scout uh, database on all our, our American League and uh, NHL goalies in preparation for the expansion draft. And at this point, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun just basically playing around. And as we get a little bit closer, um, we'll be narrowing down and, and, uh, finding guys that fit for our, our franchise. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun at this point and, uh, just surrounded by really great people.
2: I heard a lot about the the sort of front office that that they've built there. Obviously, around Francis and the history he had in Carolina. There, there seems to be a real sort of modern vibe, up to date vibe on analytics and everything. When you talk about looking at all these goaltenders, I'm guessing you're painting with a pretty broad brush right now. Like, are you like it is a wide swath? Anything could happen between now and then. How much time do you get to dig in on each one? How much do you rely on? Obviously, with the Buffalo Sabres, you would have been tasked with building pretty extensive pre-scouts on a lot of these guys. Anybody you would have faced, how much is that still applicable? Do you look at a guy and compare it to a pre-scout two years ago and see changes in their game? What's that process like for you? Yeah, you know,
3: I think I think for me, I I did know uh, all the NHL goalies quite well, uh, and still some of the American League goalies uh, as well. So it was fun when I started to to look back at my notes uh, from my time in Buffalo and from my pre-scouts and. And compared to what they were in my mind then to what they, they are and what I did see from them this season and continue to see here in the playoffs. So, um, it, it's been great for me. I, I feel like it, it, it's a, I'm well suited for it because I have that knowledge. I've been around these goalies and been pre scouting and watching them and had some of them myself, obviously, um, in knowing them uh, as we move forward. And, and then that's basically it at this point, you know, just getting to know everybody, getting, Information in the database and so that, that I can share the knowledge with everybody in organization and, and then we'll make uh, informed decisions when the time comes for us to make decisions.
2: Have you noticed how much the game has changed watching it from this perspective? Obviously, you were in it in Buffalo. Just the different asks now for a goaltender in terms of what breeds success and without, you know, asking you guys to give away what that checklist would look like, but have you seen a shift just the way it's, I mean, it's no secret. The game's become so dynamic East West in terms of what
3: works against that these
2: days, even compared to just even two, three years ago, it feels like there's a real shift there. Yeah.
3: You know what I'm seeing uh, from watching? And and like you said, uh, I'm kind of was out of it this, this winter and this season watching from a different perspective, not in the, uh, really focused on every goal that's going in and goals against on my goaltenders. I am I'm able to watch a game and just truly evaluate both goaltenders uh, as the game goes on. And the shift, I obviously the game's gotten faster. And like you just said, East to West, I, I find there's been a big shift in reaction speed and edge control. Um, and it's not, obviously you still have to be positionally sound, but there's, there's more athleticism to the game and more quickness from a, from a reaction speed standpoint, you're seeing a lot of goalies, um, have a lot of success um, that, are, that are quick and not just kind of one-dimensional. They're, they're more quickness and can adapt uh, to different situations quite quickly. Uh, I, I take like a Shusterkin or someone who came from the American League to be in the air to the NHL. Uh, to him as an example where, where that dynamic speed and that dynamic reaction speed is something that's a lot of fun to watch. It's making the game uh, faster and better and the goaltenders are adapting to it.
2: And it's funny because we've had a few stories over the course of this year, both at Ingle and NHL.com with the Unmasked column about the importance of unpredictability and how you can't always give a shooter the same look. Um, You know, we see how they're increasing their deception. You have to throw that a little back. How like is that something you can look at from a scouting report? Like, you know, like for me, my little brain only goes to technique. I'm not complex enough beyond sort of simple things, but like obviously dynamic. Like you said, the ability to move dynamically, but the ability to execute dynamically—is that part of evaluating now? Where a couple of years ago, I'm not sure that would have been a big part of it.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I, I find, I find it is because I find when you're watching games, like I like to watch the entire game as well, not just like goalie, not just saves and goalie touches. I want to get a sense for the game. You know, when are they making these saves? You know, is this timely? Is this? Uh, you know, are they, are they getting into a situation where they're scrambling and, and they make a big save and it's three minutes left in the game and a tie game, or are they down six, nothing. It, it, it so all that does play in for me. And I think there's no, um, you know, exact checklist for something that is something that, that you see and you're like, wow, that that's something that's not as teachable. You know, that's something that's very natural and, and that, that speed of it. And so there's, there's certain things that, that pop out in my mind that are like, oh, wow, I, li- I like that. That's something that that you can work around and something that, that a goaltender brings to the table that maybe that another goaltender doesn't.
2: Yeah, it's part of what we love about the position. What I've always loved about it is there is no, like you said, there is no one formula with those checklists. Everybody has a different blend. I guess it's just a matter of sort of figuring out what blend's going to work right. as the game itself changes. Yeah, for
3: sure. And, and consistency is a huge word, right? And and goaltenders have to find their their own game, their own style that makes them the most consistent that gives their team a chance to win more often than not, night in and night out. And those are the guys you see become the best. Everybody's good now. You know, you're watching all these guys play American League, yeah, NHL. There's a lot of good goaltending out there, and, and it's just what separates guys that you project to be the best in the world. Guys you project to be the top top level, and and everybody's got their own little things. And and you know, I pick them on things that I find. uh help me, uh, project guys to, to reach different heights.
2: Now you're still doing some coaching with goaltenders by Andrew Allen in the school. I I know everything has changed because I I have to leave it as an open ended question because depending on where everyone is, even getting ice these days can be really hard. And so everybody's been affected differently. Are you still, do you still get a chance to get on the ice and work with guys? And do you still have a passion for that side of it too? Obviously.
3: I do. I definitely do. And I have, uh, I have young, uh, minor hockey age children and, um, you know, I, I get out with their teams and obviously in March, everything did where I'm in Ontario and, and, um, everything did get shut down initially and you go from 110 miles an hour to zero and it was quite a shift and I, I'm sure pretty much everybody was in the same uh, situation around here uh, in the Niagara Falls area, just outside Toronto. Um. Rinks opened up again right at the end of, sorry, beginning of July. Uh, and then I was able to get back on the ice. I planned to do a a summer camp for kids and I had it all set up and we decided uh, against it uh, based on numbers. And uh, But I was able to get on in small, you know, one or two goalies on the ice uh, based on the, the, the new the COVID-19 protocols around here. So I've been on since about the beginning of July, uh, a little bit, enough to, to, Be a lot of fun and help out some kids in the area and it keeps me uh keeps me invigorated uh, and refreshed uh, with it as well
2: well i was going to ask you because you you were still doing that while coaching in the national league and coaching in the american hockey league before that as well right where because i've seen the schedule that you guys put in i've watched the hours on video i know how much of a grind the nhl season is for coaches i'm not sure everyone appreciates just how much it is and how much that travel can take you away from the family so to still be involved at the youth level, what, what what's the takeaway for you? What's the benefit? Um, we've had this conversation, uh, sadly off the record because now he's with the Islanders. But Mitch Korn's talked about that. I was used to I used to bug him like like how are you going on all these like road trip camps all summer after grinding so much? What for you is the value in keeping involved at that grassroots level? Is there benefits even as a you know even when you go back to working with pros?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, uh, first and foremost, it was to help give back. You know, I had so many people help me along the way that any coach I can help, any, uh, any student, any goalie that I can help, um, at a young age, uh, to me is all the better. I, 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 again, I had lots of help along the way and, and you do need help. So that was first and foremost. It gave me a chance to get out with my own kids at, on their practice ice, uh, as well. Neither one of them are goaltenders, but, it gave me a chance to to be out with them and, and uh, in, involved with their teams when I could be. Uh, obviously, I didn't see a lot of games uh, for a few years there, but this past winter I got to see uh, quite a few uh, games, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I do. I always found too, even when I was coaching before I um, started uh, in Chicago in the development uh, goaltending coach role, and then in Buffalo, um, when I used to coach even younger kids. As you're talking, you're talking it through. A certain situation, say a post play situation, and you're, you're almost justifying yourself as you're saying it. I'm like, am I, am I going through this properly? Is there something new? Is there something? And so I find coaching at whatever level, you're always talking, you're always communicating. It keeps me relevant and it keeps me understanding where the game's going and should I be changing this or should I keep that same philosophy? So it, I do find it does help me, uh, no matter the, what the age of the, the uh, kid is, uh, that it does help. I really do.
2: I was going to ask you what, uh, are the kids not goalies cause of dad or is that just a like, is that just a wise decision as a guy who's been around it all his life? I don't want to have to deal with it here too, or they just haven't gravitated towards it.
3: Well, we're on the air here, but I'm, I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame my wife because, uh, my wife, I've been with my wife a long time, even in my pro career. So she saw the ups and downs of East coast league to the American league, to the NHL back and down and all that. Um, so uh, she wasn't real fond. Uh, she was my mental skills. We didn't have that as much then she was my mental skills coach. She was my support system um, and she didn't want to go through it with two more, uh, two more goalies. so it, uh, it's something that I just wanted them to play and enjoy and, and uh, neither one my son my, my son's older. he did gravitate towards the net a little bit uh, but, but overall they're both defensemen so they're both thinking they're both helping goals.
2: Well, we can't have them being mindless forwards. They've got to at least contribute to the goalie <laughs> union a little bit. So that's, that's a positive. Now, it's a perfect segue to the career because before you coached, you played. Um, University of Vermont, uh, four years there, and then a pro career that, you know, five years between the AHL and the ECHL, I think eight teams in five years, if I, if I did the math correctly. And as long as we're in single digits, I can count to that. Um, including your first full year pro, four different teams. So, I couldn't help but notice too also the era. Like to me as you're starting your pro career around 2000 2001 0-1-0-2, that to me is like that's why like maybe it's just my personal bias cuz that's when I started learning about the position through a guy like Ian Clark but it feels like that was a that was a that was a point where I would talk to guys in the NHL and proper leg recovery wasn't something they all did but it was being taught. Like, to me, that was a real part of the shift towards the level of teaching and goalie coaches everywhere and and in that era. So long-winded question, but Andrew Allen graduating from the University of Vermont from a style perspective, playing pro those five years through that transition, what kind of goaltender were you when you started, when you finished, and how much of sort of playing pro at a time when the game was changing so much for goalies? Like, did that form you at all as a, as a goalie coach after you were done?
3: It's a great question. And I, uh, that first year pro for me, I learned so much. And I had Ian Clark. I was under contract with the Florida Panthers. And Ian Clark was the goalie coach. And I met Ian in, in training camp. And I was on the ice with Roberto Luongo, Trevor Kidd, me, Wade Flaherty. I got to know Wade Flaherty really well. And I'm friends with him to this day. Uh, through that whole experience, we actually were together on 9 11. That's uh, in our uh, hotel room. And so I, I weighed Flaherty's uh, in my, uh, in, has been in, in, entwined with my whole hockey career. Um, and the what I know, so coming out of college, I was a big, lanky, six foot four goaltender that I, I was quite raw. You know, I wasn't a technically perfect goalie by any means. I, I did a lot, I believe, on, on basically, uh, work ethic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I noticed in that first training camp with Ian Clark that footwork was everything. Everything we did was based on edge control and being balanced and being in position that we can recover instead of reaching as much, instead of, um, you know, uh, ending up back or ending up forward. And um, I, that was an eye opener for me, that first training camp. And that has stayed with me through my whole playing career and coaching career. To me, footwork, edge control is the base of goaltending. And, and that started for me with Ian Clark there in Florida. Um, and I got I got to come up at the end of the year, and I backed up the last two games of the regular season. So it was it wouldn't be even in the stats because I would got no minutes. So I actually was on five teams that year, uh, including the Florida Panthers. So um, so I got to work with Ian again um, at the end of the year, um, which was which was which was great just to pick his brain and, and be a part of all that. And um, we didn't have at that time the developmental goaltending coaches, so you were pretty much on your own. Uh, from that standpoint, um, you know, when you're in the minors, so it was uh, so I learned a lot. I was in a lot of places that that year, but uh, but got to see all three levels uh, in North American Pro uh, and got to see the difference in how how much as you move up a level, the quickness uh, you need to be you need better feet, you need to be in position quicker, uh, the releases are quicker, they try to get you before you get set. So, uh, so it was a great learning experience that first year, pro.
2: It's funny, I'm gonna have to throw out the caveat here, I had no idea. I forgot about that. I, I knew you were in Florida at one point, but I totally forgot that it was an Ian Clark thing. People are going to think that every interview I do is naturally that I'm picking people to tie back to Ian Clark, but it is amazing whether it's, we talk about Children of the Corn and, you know, the Alaire brothers. Uh, it, Ian intersects through a lot of these paths as well. So I, I shouldn't be surprised. And yet people are going to be like, geez, what? Like we just, we just had one of your former pupils, Lena Salmark, on last week. And oh. I'd forgotten that his moto journey was also with Ian Clark early on so uh, I swear folks I'm not setting this up on purpose uh, but Ian has that kind of impact so early in your career you 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 learned that interesting that you you would have gone through like you said not a lot of support at the minor league level I mean a lot of NHL teams didn't have a goalie coach or didn't have a true what we think of in the sense of the word now and let alone in the minors these days although I would argue some teams could maybe spend right down to the East Coast League and help some young goalies even more, you're at least going to get that support in most organizations in the AHL. Where do you come out on that balance between wanting to make sure these kids have that support as a young pro, but also can you be? do you have to be careful not to hold their hand too much? Do you have to be careful to not make them so dependent on you that they can't manage their own game? Something you would have had to learn to do as a, as a young pro yourself, where did where do you, where do you find that balance?
3: I, I think so. When I was in the developmental goaltending coach role with the, the Blackhawks, I, I found a really good balance um, on not being with the goalies all the time. So our, my first priority was the two American league goalies in Rockford. Now our first priority was to get them ready for the NHL on any given day, right? They could get called up, but I wasn't there with them every single day. Was I available to talk every single day? Yes, of course. After a game, uh, after morning skate, something's going on. Um, But when I was in town, we worked technical, we worked on on their game. When I was out of town, I would go over a video and I would talk talk them through it um, from afar. Now, it would have been great to have Zoom and all this then, but we didn't. Um, um, But then you're also in touch with the guys in the East Coast League and you're seeing them once a month, maybe twice a month. Uh, you're also talking to whoever's in junior. my first year in Chicago, I had Matt Carruth and uh, Ken Simpson, both in Portland and Everett, three hours apart or whatever, I think it was less than three hours anyways, and I'd drive up and down the coast there on a trip and see them both play get on the ice with them both. Um, and then you have European guys as well and um, draft picks. So I found it's great to have somebody who understands what you're going through. So I went through all these levels of hockey. So it was, I was able to help them as much mentally, as much getting preparing themselves to be a pro, preparing, preparing themselves for games, than you do the X's and O's of the technique on the ice. So I think it's a great model that the NHL teams have these development roles. But I don't think um, you need to be there every single day. In the NHL, you got a guy there every single day. Well, your job in the NHL is to win hockey games. Uh, That is the end all be all. Whereas everywhere else outside the NHL is to prepare to get to the NHL so you can win win um, hockey games. So it's uh, for me, it it was a great role, um, and I believe I'm very happy all the NHL teams have those roles now uh, because the kids do need support, but they do need to figure out part of it on their own.
2: You mentioned be a pro, and we hear that a lot. Can you explain? And we've had different people explain, especially goalies. It amazes me sometimes that we hear guys figure it out. They've already been in the NHL for a little while before they figure it out. And then we see them take off. I mean, and, and they're the first ones to admit it. Uh, I'm thinking of Chris Dreger. We had him on the podcast a few months ago. And there's a guy who, you know, um, didn't have the success people had hoped for until just like he hit that level this year. And he talked about changing everything and being a pro. What advice would you give when, you, when we, we throw out that term in terms of specifics Are those habits you can start at a younger age? Is it off ice? Like who you're friends with, what you eat? Like like if you had a 15 or 16 year old even starting junior, are there things that they can start to do to make sure that by the time they get there, they at least have a foundation of what it means to be a pro?
3: yes i i believe it's something you we should be talking to our younger kids about obviously you don't have all um the amenities and everything that the uh, the the pros have uh, at their advantage from an office and uh consultants and all of this as much nowadays there is uh kids younger getting nutritionists and, and things like this but it's it's i believe at a younger age you start talking about what a professional is a professional comes to work every day, ready to go, not just shows up and say, okay, now I'm going to be good running on the ice. They think about it all the time. You know, what, what did I, what am I doing today to prepare to be good for practice? What goals am I setting for myself? What team goals am I setting? Um, all to the point, how do I recover after? Do I just take off my gear and walk out or am I stretching out? Am I, am I trying to, to become, as close as I can be to a professional without yet being a professional. I believe that is the start. Then, it, then it's easier. Then you have those habits. You have those work habits. And then you learn as you go. You learn the mental, the mental side of it, how to, how to deal with, well, I'm playing better than the other goalie, but he's playing over me. And, and the, the big word, hockey politics, things that you can't control. It's how do you come to the rink every day and let your mind be in a place that your body can just react naturally. You're not thinking about what if uh, well, I'm getting hard done to, or this guy, that guy, oh, I don't know. What happens if I get called up? What happens if this, or what, what scout's gonna see me today? That's things that I did in my head. And I think I would've been a better goalie if I would've been able to find a way to compartmentalize that. So I think we can teach kids a little bit younger now, just the day-to-day, what it takes to be a professional. And like you said, a lot of a lot of guys enter the pro ranks and and I've got there a lot on skill and talent alone. And they have to learn that, oh, this, everybody's good now, you know, and I really need to bring it every day, make an impression every day in a positive way that my team and my coaching staff and my organization are confident that I'm their guy, you know, and and how do you deal with it when you're not their guy? And guys like like Chris Dreger that for a while there, he, he was in the minors, he was doing his thing. And then he got an opportunity. And and he sees it, you know. And some guys might not be prepared to see it. So that's a long-winded answer, but I do feel it is something that we can ingrain at a younger age. It will make it easier, but it always is a transition to see how important it is as they move higher to to take care of yourself both on and off the ice and, and give yourself the best opportunity to get to get opportunities.
2: Okay. Now I jumped ahead. There, we started talking about your time with the Blackhawks. Started talking about the time with Buffalo. I skipped over how you became a goalie coach i want to know the story how you go from playing in the coast in the american league uh, with the providence bruins in that last year in 0405 and that's an accomplishment to get any time in the ahl in 0405 because of course that was a lockout year and it was packed with talented goaltenders so how do you go from that to working with the japanese national team from 06 to 2011 like how did that transition start for you to to goalie coach when did you know and and the opportunity, how'd you end up in Japan? Or was it even in Japan? Or how'd you end up working for the Japanese national team? I need to hear this
3: story. I learned how to bow. I know that. I definitely learned how to bow. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, yeah, my last year uh, was playing was the the lockout year in 0405. And uh, I got up to Providence for a while. Patrice Bergeron was there because he had been in the NHL as an 18-year-old. And he played in the American League uh, that year. And He went I was up when he left for the World Juniors. That was the year that was him, Crosby, and uh, was it Corey Perry? I forget. Anyways, the line, their line was unbelievable in North Dakota when uh, Canada won goal. Uh, so anyways, I um, I played most of that year in Trenton in the East Coast League, and we won the Kelly Cup. So I I had such a great last experience, and I could have went to Europe. Uh, we thought about it, but um, we decided that, you know what, it's better to kind of get on with life and um that year at Christmas, I, I'd gotten a government job in Ottawa. And that year at Christmas, um, uh, a, a guy from my hometown, his name's Mark Mahan, and he's uh, um, he was the Japanese national team head coach. Uh, and he said, "I may have an opportunity for you in Japan." I'm like, "What's it all about?" And he goes, "Well, we're looking for a goalie consultant, and uh, for our whole program, it wasn't just the men's team, It was men's, women's, junior. Um, mm-hmm. We want somebody to come over and and basically get." our goalies at a higher level and and teach, teach the goalie coaches as well um, what needs to be done. So that's how it came about. Uh, it was um unbelievable experience. I was still working a government job in uh in Ottawa, taking time, uh, leave without pay for time away. I was a goalie coach for the University of Ottawa men's team at that same point. I also was volunteer goalie coach at St. Lawrence University on the US side. It was an easy drive to Ottawa. So I had many irons I was doing kids kids coaching in Ottawa at the same time. Just trying to keep as many irons in the fire as i could and uh, the japan thing was basically a 12-week contract per year where i met them parts of it was in japan uh in training sessions and then we also met them at different world championships or different uh pre-world championships um places all over we were everywhere sweden finland uh canada we trained in calgary sometimes uh, with the canadian women's program uh all over i saw places in the world i never thought i'd see so it was Unbelievable experience. They were so good to me over there and I would have continued doing it, but uh, I got that uh, developmental role with the Blackhawks and I had to leave uh, the role, but I still stay in touch with people over there and and watch them closely.
2: That's a heck of a grind to be not, not so much just the Japan, but the fact yeah, I, I didn't know about the, I knew about St. Lawrence, but I didn't know about the university of Ottawa as well. And obviously coaching, coaching, you know, locally and, and uh, with youth programs and stuff like that. Was the passion always there? What it like through there had to be some tough times in there. Like because it's not easy to get the foot in the door with the Blackhawks. Um, and that's when I first heard heard about Andrew Allen because I was just starting to get back into this and I started hearing this name from all these different goalies that have worked with you and all these good reviews. But that that period before you get that opportunity can be tough. Any advice for other young goalie coaches that are that are doing the same thing right now in terms of you know, trying to work on their craft and take advantage of as many opportunities as they can, waiting for the one that actually can become a career.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I dealt with it both in my playing career and coaching career. I'll give you a quick on the playing side. I was in my second year pro. Uh, I had My first year pro, obviously, I backed up two games in the NHL. My second year, I signed in Detroit system, but in American League East Coast League, two-way with Grand Rapids and Dayton in the East Coast League. Um, and that year wasn't going near as well for me as the first year. And it, I was older coming out of college anyway. So I was, I think by this time, 26 years old. And I was like, man, is this, is this really for me? should I continue? Should I grind through this? And I went through all that and I got traded from Dayton to Trenton, um, and had three shutouts in a row starting in Trenton and then played one more game, got call up to the American league in Binghamton. Um, cause they had so many injuries and within I want to say within a month, I had an NHL contract for the next year with the Ottawa Senators. So in my playing career was that you, you go through in your head and it's like, you know what, just finish the year. Don't make decisions until you're through the season. Then you'll make educated decisions. So same thing in my coaching career. I was, like I said, trying to put as many irons in the fire as I could. And I was going, I didn't have any kids yet. My wife was very, very uh, patient and supportive of me that to, to follow this dream. I said, "Let's see what I can do." I, I you know, I had this dream. I, I want to be an NHL goalie coach. I think I could do it, but I needed to take the steps. And it was, I, I was, I was doing everything from six-year-olds to to Japanese um, uh, pro guys that were older than me at the time. That were thirty-six years old. Fukufuji, uh, Utaka Fukufuji, played for the LA Kings. He was part of our system. So there was times in there where you're like, "Well, this is great and all, but I." maybe I just take this government job and, 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 and have stability, you know? Uh, but man, it, it, it worked out. I got the development role in, in Chicago. It's all about getting somebody to interview you or, 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 or take a phone call or, you know, and, and in Chicago, I, I was lucky enough to have people that Ted Dent and, and Mike Haviland who had coached me in the East Coast League, like they were in Chicago system. They say, Hey, just interview this guy, you know? And I got to talk with Stefan Waite uh, over dinner one night, uh, about this, this role in, in Chicago and about halfway through the dinner, I knew I had it. I just, um, we were on the same wavelength. Steph was talking away to me. Like I was, I, he had known me for years. I was speaking French to him. I, I, I obviously I, I have some French being honest. He was loving it. So, um, that's what got me back into the pro game as a coach and. And then from there, I really got to learn. And I and I really got to feel that you know what, this is for me. And I was able to transition from Chicago to a, to a head role in Buffalo, which was my dream. Um, and, and the way it goes in this business, I, I got it for for four years, four good years of learning, and I'd love to love to do it again um in a in a different situation. But at the same time, the opportunities it's afforded me to now be able to be in the game with Seattle is maybe this is it i don't know yet right so it's uh it's a lot of fun to be just in the game and doing what i'm doing so that i guess that's my advice is you've got to stick with it and keep that passion because you just never know when that opportunity is going to come
2: This is why I loved every conversation I got to have with you when you come through town with Buffalo, because the passion always came through. I mean, just as it's coming through now and the sincerity and the fact that you, you love this game. Like we use the word, I think Johan Hedberg once called me a goalie nerd and said it was with respect, but you have to have that passion to go through the grind. I think. And the other part that jumps out there is we talked earlier about being a pro and being prepared for opportunity. It sounds like that was part of your path as a coach that when you had the opportunity to get the interview, you were ready. You'd done the work. It was about being a pro on that side of the equation as well.
3: For sure. And, and I, think, I think for me, the the pride that comes with uh, working with goaltenders and watching them realize their dreams, you know, it's not, in our position, it's not really, obviously everybody has to look out for themselves to a certain degree, but it's not about us. It's about the goaltenders and how they perform. And, you know, the, the guys like Anti Ranta and Scott Darling and Carter Hutton, uh, for, for me, guys like this, that I had in the minors, that there were ups and downs with all of them. There's times that all of them were like, man, am I really going to make it? When, when you see them perform at the level they do at the NHL level, you feel proud. You feel like they're one of your kids, you know? And, And that's, that's where I bring my passion and my enthusiasm from is to help them realize their dreams. Just be a part of it. Just sometimes it's a little light switch that, that helps them, you know?
2: So I got to ask, because you are, like you said, you've, you've had an opportunity to, and you were doing it even when you were in the NHL and in the American League um, working with kids. When you go back to that, where's the focus? Because we've we've heard a lot of talk. And when we talked earlier about how, you know, um, you know, Robin Lehner, another guy you, you've worked with, has talked about unpredictability and those stories that we've written. At a younger age. Um, I think there are times, and this isn't meant to be critical of goaltending coaches in Canada or in North America overall by any means, because they're great. Is there, are there times where, like, I'd be curious where you would start with kids in terms of building their foundation, their skills. And can we at times be guilty? Um, I don't want to say as a nation, I just, I think it can happen all over the world of maybe trying to get a little, like, is there a, a hazard, really poorly worded question by me. But as we have, I have a B game too. Um, it's the, is, there a, is there a risk in getting too technical at too young an age? I'd be curious where you would start and how that progression would look for you. And I know it depends on each individual athlete, but, you know, we're, we're seeing it with other, we, Linus the other day talked about maybe in Sweden. He feels like it's, it's a little technical at too young an age. So I, I'm just kind of curious, where would you start? And what would your focus be with, with, with a young kid?
3: I I start um, like I t- the foundation for me is our base is our feet and I think you in my opinion you can't be too technical with your feet you, you need to be quick you need to be strong on your feet you need to be able to get to position where where to me I believe as well that sometimes we get way too technical uh, is is how to make the save the save process to me the save process is a very individual thing Um, and to me. The part that I teach with young kids the most is getting into position. Get there. And that's the feet. That's the quickness. That's the, the transferring from butterfly to a standing position. That's butterfly sliding into position. Get there. Then let your natural instincts, abilities take over and make the save. And, and that's that's the way I apply. It's kind of, to me, like a three-step process. Before the shot, which to me is a technical uh, move, uh, the actual save selection is totally up to you. Uh, And then the recovery out of it is again, a little bit more, uh, you know, footwork and and a technical situation. So that's kind of the way I I do it with young kids. And, and it's same with the pros. If you you look at Robin, the difference between Robin and Linus uh, between Robin Leonard and Linus Allmark, you know, both Swedish goalies, but both play a very different way. You can't cookie cutter them for me. Uh, You have to work with what their strengths are and and areas that, that they need to work on. And, And I think that, you know, Robin was such a flow goaltender and you see him still t- to this day. He just reads so well, you know, that when he's really on, he's reading the play at, at an elite level. Um, and Linus has come along so way and he's a, he's an edge control guy and he's a more positional guy and he's big and, and his whole thing is, and, and he's gotten so much better is tracking the puck and, uh, and reacting to pucks with his hand and not being that robotic, you know, and, 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 and I think that's where probably Linus is talking about. From a younger age, do they teach every goalie the exact same way? And I think that's where we got to let goalies be themselves as well. Everybody has a personality. If you if you if you look at a uh, a Robin Leonard versus uh, a Simeon Varlamov, or or there's there's two very different human beings and two very different goaltenders there. So uh, to me, you can't teach them exactly the same.
2: Uh, it's perfect. It goes back to that whole thing about there's everybody has different mixes of the elements that are required and how they blend together is unique to the individual um, drill work how can you encourage that type of like you said like uh, when you're working with him and I think back to Carter Hutton who was a guy you had uh, in Rockford uh, and, and played a key role in him springboarding to the NHL uh, from Rockford and then had him again in Buffalo and he was a guy that talked to us about how and I think even at Ingle and, and me as a writer not Little Ignorant had had written in the past about how practices can be bad for goalies. And he was, the, he was the guy that told me like, hey, no, like embrace the dynamic tough parts of practice because sometimes the goalie specific stuff can be too predictable. Is there, a, so that's a two-parter. Is there, do we need to make sure that even when things are tough, we're finding ways to take positives or take something out of it as a goalie? And are there things on the other side that we can do as goalie coaches to make sure that, It's not always predictable that, yeah, we can we can ingrain something we need to do technically. um, But if every save is from the same spot in the same shot and they know it at some point, that's a negative two.
3: Yeah. You know, I uh, I believe a lot. So my process and and how I worked with Carter and, and everybody basically is before practice is a controlled goaltender environment. So whatever we work with a theme for the day, whatever, say the themes post play for the day. Everything, the footwork we would do before practice, the before practice shooting drills would all be based around that. And that would have been built based on conversations I had with the goalies, what we've seen on video, what right at that point we felt we need a little more of. Then during practice, you have to compete. And, and I feel you, you've got to turn your brain off a little bit. It's not going to be structured just for the goalies. And uh, you have to find the most game-like situations in practice drills and really play them live. And then other drills is more about just picking up the release and and following the puck and not getting so wound up on if you get scored on it. You have to understand that some of the drills are for flow, you know. And um, so I I feel during practice, you kind of turn that brain off a little bit from that standpoint. Then after practice, if we did get a chance or whatever goalie I'm working with after practice – you have more guys out there. you play more game like more battle type situations where it's not predict- predictable and and then that that way you, I found we get a good mix of technical versus uh unpredictability and and that's how I always pattern my practices and you always have to juggle based on travel schedule and and all that kind of stuff but it's uh it's uh a lot of fun to get some technical work in where it's a little quieter before practice and I found carter. Carter loved routine and he loved, he needed to feel good when practice started in order for him to be at his best. He wanted that time before practice to just get some work done and then he could be Carter Hutton and, and, and just, just flow with it. Those
2: games at the end, the last one I promise, but uh, cause we've been at this a while, but the games at the end value there in creating a competitive environment that may still have a technical element, but the need to compete and go outside a technique. Is there value there? Not just for the goaltender, but in that, once you sort of trigger that competitive environment, you're going to get more out of the players shooting on them too.
3: Hundred percent, and and I even I even took to the point that when before we start the drill after practice, I I, I say, listen, goalies, we're looking for this. Players, you got to score from these situations. You got to find ways to score. So I I tried to involve everybody, and and I always found it as a thing that players wanted to stay out, and if they wanted to stay out, partly was because they were enjoying what they were doing. Right, so. Um, so to me, it's it's important if you want shooters to be involved in the drill and you want shooters to be engaged, so that so it's better for the goaltenders. There's got to be some fun for the players in it as well. So we we try to find all kinds of different scenarios and, and little competitive games and uh, bring the competitive juices and and, and I, th- I found that that really helps everybody everybody get involved and everybody uh, gets something out of the drill.
2: See, we can tie this right back to that great Seattle Kraken hat you're wearing. It's still a game, just like the name. It needs to be fun. They knocked it out of the park, and I know you're going to knock it out of the park with them too, Andrew. Listen, I thank you so much for the time today. Enjoyed catching up. Like I, I've teased this one before, because every time you came through town, I really it would turn into it would start maybe with interviews with your guys, but it would be end up being three or four, whether it was both goalies or just one, and you and me in the room talking about goaltending. I always learned something. And I always, the passion always came through and I always enjoyed the conversation and I know our audience will too. So thank you, congrats on the gig and thank you so much for taking the time for catching up with us.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Honestly, same here. It's a lot of fun. Uh, any chance I got a chance to talk with you face-to-face and uh, these Zoom calls were basically face-to-face anyway. So I, uh, I appreciate it, a lot of fun and I look forward to, to seeing you and talking to you again in the future.
2: Yeah, out on the West Coast here. That's uh, I can't wait. To, uh, you know, get these borders back open and get you you familiar with the I five from Chasing Carruth and those guys down from Portland and Everett. So um, we know all the routes. We'll find a coffee stop along the way and catch up when things are back open. Thanks again, Andrew. Thanks.
0: This will be very childish of me. great interview. Awesome uh, conversation, Woody. But, uh, when, when Andrew is talking about, uh, repping the, uh, the hat and stuff, just a cool logo and a great name. And I'm like that, that's a cool hat. I like to wear that
2: hat. Yeah. We, it's funny. We joked about that off air too. Like my girls just haven't really gravitated towards hockey probably. Cause it's, they've been surrounded by it their entire lives. Um, but, even they were like, Ooh, like that, that logo that we're, we're a family that when the borders are open, Seattle's kind of a weekend retreat for us just down the I five from Vancouver and one of our favorite cities. And so the idea, I haven't done this frankly ever like 20 years covering the NHL now, but the idea of going down and watching another team play and, and they, you know, teenage, teenage daughters are excited about that logo and the way they've built that brand and that tells me, you know, if non hockey fan teenage girls are loving it, uh, and my daughter's a critic of anything I do or wear, uh, that's a pretty good sign. You've hit a home run there. I love it. It's fun. Like Andrew said, the, talking about games and playing games, it needs to be fun. It's still a game. And I think they're yeah, I like think the Kraken nailed it with their, with their logo and everything.
0: But you follow up the the night. Club atmosphere, a T-Mobile arena in Vegas, and this cool logo and name, uh, it's, it's back-to-back nice expansion stories for the National Hockey League. And an excuse to go
2: to Seattle is never a bad thing. As well, much as good Vancouver point. is very similar, we've got some spots down there we love to hit. It's, uh, it's, it's one of our favorite cities.
0: Sounds like an in-goal road trip. Should we invite Hutch? Bugger <laughs> off. <laughs> Woody just hammered his microphone because he's laughing so hard <laughs> <laughs> there was, i deserve there was, it finally
1: there was contact
0: ever- uh, <laughs> uh we will we will we will get together on a road trip uh as soon as we're through all of this uh pandemic and uh and we get back to normal and we're looking forward to it uh, greatly uh but uh, just a woody uh or hutch uh, an a uh, just an observation comment on on what you heard from from me
1: well. From i I actually thought he was one of the most forthcoming about the actual role of a goaltending coach today, and And I know we've had lots of guys on, and they talk um, generally about how they spend their time, but I was just fascinated as he walked us through um, what he's doing on the ice with these guys on a, on a game day to to prepare them for the game, and how each segment of that day is a little bit different, how his role as a as a, a mental coach to a degree is is part of that as well. Um, I just felt that we got a peek inside in in a in a more detailed way maybe than we have before and and it was great to hear that from him. And and he also is just so personable, Woody. I haven't had the pleasure that that you have, but I, I felt like we were talking to somebody um that we, we just might know from the rink down the road. Um maybe that's him talking about his his interest in maintaining that connection to the youth game and working with young goaltenders. Um, but I I really felt a little bit closer to the National Hockey League. Um listening to that interview, and I think that's one of the goals that we had when we put in goal together was to bring some some fans sort of behind the curtain, so to speak so well done
2: uh, easy when it's like i said there's a reason every time every time just there's a passion there that comes through the conversations are always enjoyable so i'm I'm glad that uh, and thank you to the Seattle Kraken too because um not all teams are going to make their their goalie in in andrew's case goalie professional goalie scout right now. Um, but they don't always make that those personnel available for these types of interviews. We went through all the proper channels to get this, uh, made sure that we weren't going to, you know, that it wasn't going to be a problem for him professionally and, you know, sort of true to that brand, uh, the Kraken franchise was, was absolutely go ahead. And, um, so we really appreciate that. Cause, cause like I said, I just, I've, I've had the pleasure of these conversations, so I knew it was going to be good and, and I'm glad that it came through the same way for you guys and, and hopefully will for our audience as well.
0: Well done. Uh, enjoyed it. And at a time when everybody's going back to school, it's nice to have the episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, Get Straight A's with Andrew Allen, the feature interview on Ingold Radio, the podcast. On behalf of Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again.